everyone, and welcome to episode 36 of Authors on the Podcast Talking Books. I'm your host, David Walters. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with author Ryan Van Loon. Ryan is an up-and-coming science fiction and fantasy author. He started reading his grandfather's Reader's Digest when he was four years old. I mean, who doesn't? I mean, I, I remember even my dad just having Reader's Digest, like copy after copy after copy, that just gathered dust and <laughs> ever reading those. But, uh, but soon after, he read The Adventures of Tom Sawyer before eventually discovering science fiction and fantasy through the works of Robin McKinley, Robert Jordan, Stephen King, and many more. He moved around a lot in his childhood from Montana to Georgia to Puerto Rico before finally ending up in Pennsylvania. Ryan served six years as a sergeant in the United States Army Infantry, which is the National Guard, where he served on the front lines of Afghanistan. All of that travel got into his blood, and Ryan has traveled around the world with his wife, wandering Caribbean island haunts, exploring the palaces and cathedrals of Europe, and hiking with elephants in the rainforests of Southeast Asia. When he's not traveling, Ryan enjoys hiking, soccer, football, Tabletop gaming, weightlifting, and all things culinary. Ryan's forthcoming novel, The Sin and the Steel, was purchased by Tor Books for publication as a series, and it shelves on uh, in July of 2020. Today, Ryan lives in northeastern Pennsylvania with his wife and two dogs, where he's hard at work on his next novel. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Van Long. Hey, thank you, David. Yeah, that was absolutely. quite the intro. It is. It uh, you know, so, some of these are long-winded and some aren't, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta lay all your cards on the table. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you having a having a decent day in PA today? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was interesting weather today. We got like hail and rain, and then it was blue skies for about ten minutes, and then it went back to rain. So, I think the weather is about as confused as the rest of us are with the uh, you know the ongoing pandemic and everything else. But I can't complain. Yeah. How about you? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Uh, you know, just, uh, just work all day. I mean, yeah, weather, weather down here is kind of odd too. It was, it's been super humid the past couple of days and we have some like spotty thunderstorms and then randomly tomorrow we have like a low of 40 when it's been in the mid seventies to eighties the past like week or two. It's, oh, it's wow. just odd. <laughs> You're in uh, Alabama, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The weather's I, always I great. haven't, I haven't been in Alabama very much, but I've been in, uh, Western Georgia, and yeah, I know how the weather can be there, especially around this time of year. Yeah, yeah, you, you got like the outskirts of our odd weather being in West Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, you know, can't can't complain too much. I mean, it's it's nice being able to work work from home and spend time with the misses and all that stuff because she's uh she's remote teaching, so you know we we haven't quite gotten tired of each other yet, but you know I'm sure the time will come. <laughs> <laughs> How is uh, how is she finding remote teaching? I imagine that has to be pretty tough. Yeah, it's it's interesting. She does a she does like a Zoom meeting like once a week with her entire class, and uh, but she's she's found the mute button, um, and so it's actually been pretty great because <laughs> <laughs> she's she's like, all right, so automatically mute everybody when we start, and then I unmute people as we go so they can talk. But other than that, um, she like films some videos and sends them out uh, to this little. I think it's like all in Google Drive. And so the parents just go on there and they, you know, pull the videos up and the kids do the lessons. And I mean, it seems like it's maybe like a couple hours of work a day. It's not it's not a whole lot because she teaches first grade. So trying to keep their oh, attention okay. for longer than that's pretty impossible. <laughs> for sure. Well, I'm sure the parents are thankful for that hour and a half. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's funny. It's funny thinking about it now because I know like within the first week of all these schools like closing and going to remote learning, all the all the parents like within like a day are like, "Can my kids go back to school?" Because <laughs> like they just can't handle their own kids. And my wife's like, I "Told you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they uh, we just canceled school for the year actually today. They made that announcement in Pennsylvania, and all my uh, all my work friends who have kids at home are pretty broken up about it. <laughs> Wow, they uh they called that pretty late. I mean, I I mean, I know there's still a lot of states that haven't called it yet, but uh, I feel like you know, kind of in your area, I figured it'd be called a lot sooner. Yeah, they they shut it down about a month ago, but then like like I think they kept holding out hope that it was gonna you know it was gonna pass quicker than it than it would, and they kept pushing it back, and then they went to indefinitely, and then they finally just were like, yeah, it's not gonna happen. So. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like my work for, uh, works for a private school, and um, they don't really follow you know the rest of the state, so the rest of the states closed like for good the rest of the you know the school year, and then she's like, well. It's right now at the end of the month because that's kind of our lockdown for the state. But we might go back in May, and I was like, "Well, you're not because you'll be seven months pregnant." <laughs> so, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. she shouldn't leave the house. Yeah, exactly. And and she uh, she also teaches dance at a studio, and their recital is supposed to be like mid May. And uh, their studio director was like, "Oh, we're still having this thing," and she goes, "Oh, well, you're having it without me." <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah. it's interesting. Oh. <laughs> I, uh, my day job's in healthcare, so I've been dealing with this pretty, pretty intensely for like the last three weeks. I should say I'm not like a healthcare provider. I'm in, uh, IT and innovation and, um, building apps and stuff, but we've been doing a lot of work around that. And it's just, it's a lot. People should definitely take it seriously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I mean, I was, I was talking, uh, I think I was talking to Nick Martell the other day and I was like, yeah, I'm just you know, while we're sitting here recording, I've, I've got, you know, all my neighbors are out having a block party right now. And I'm like, nobody's taking it seriously in my neighborhood except for us. Oh, so uh, it's just, yeah, nuts. I think, well, I think it hasn't, I don't think it's quite reached you all yet. Like it's getting there, but yeah, that's, we, um, if you, uh, if you Google it, there's this graffiti highway and this abandoned coal town uh, called Centralia. It's like right over the mountain from my house. Uh, it's famous because in the sixties, somebody started a trash fire that accidentally like caught a seam of coal and like burned through underneath the town and like it's abandoned and they have this highway that's abandoned and they covered it in graffiti. So it's really cool. I got my author photos done there actually. Uh, but the coal region folks are, are a different breed. So they, they were like out there partying, you know, like the last few weeks. And so now just this week they announced that they're going to be like covering it over with dirt all the way over so that nobody can like use it or get back there. Cause nobody was taking it seriously, <laughs> <laughs> which is just crazy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we definitely don't have the numbers that, you know, the North has right now, but you know, I just, I, I know every time I check, like it's just continuing to go up and I'm like, I don't think we're going to hit our peak on the 20th. Like they think we are. I think it's going to be even, even later, if not into May. And it's just, uh, yeah, I don't think this is ever going to end until people actually really start taking it seriously. It's like, you know, this is actually pretty bad. Maybe we should actually start listening to everybody. <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, I think there is, there's some hope that maybe it won't be as bad as what the uh, initial models were showing just mm-hmm. because we, you know, unfortunately for Italy, we got to see what they were going through first. And I think it got, us to take quicker action so hopefully that'll that'll change some stuff for us but i mean we're just an uncharted territory for the next few months yeah exactly 
Exactly. So, all right. So, because every episode for the past month has started out like this, it's now time to start talking about something happy. <laughs> for sure. I was just going to say, everybody's probably like, oh my God, I didn't turn into this to hear, <laughs> hear more about reality. Right. Oh my gosh. Um, so, as I start out always, uh, so tell me, tell me about, you know, yourself growing up, uh, you know, moving around, uh, you know, if you want to talk a little bit about military life, you can. Um, but I, I definitely want to, to hear about, you know, your, your growth into becoming a writer. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So my family moved around a lot until I was about the age of 10. And then, uh, and then we kind of settled down in, in Pennsylvania and my, my mom's side is originally from Pennsylvania, but, uh, yeah, I was born in Montana, uh, right on the uh, Canadian border. And um, by the time I was three or four, you know, we had moved all across the state. We moved down to Georgia and then we eventually went to Puerto Rico and um, lived on this tiny island off the coast of Puerto Rico. It's called Viacus. Uh, the only way to get there is by ferry or by plane. Um it's a, it's a really wonderful place. And so that, those are like my early memories are half like wild West and then like half me on a beach with uh, my dog. <clears throat> and then, um, yeah. Uh, and then we, we moved back to Pennsylvania, uh, and moved around there for a while. But so I, I had a lot of travel early on. I got to see a lot of things. And then, you know, even though I was really young, there was all these stories about my parents were, were kind of nuts. They would drive literally from Montana to Pennsylvania on a weekend to see family and they do like a 36 hour, just straight drive through no stops and, you know, talk about how I handled it when I was like, you know, two and three and stuff like that. So a lot of, a lot of travel. And then, um, you know, reading has always been a big part of that. So my mom would, uh, record reading stories to me and then like play that for me. Uh, so, you know, when I would go to sleep and stuff. And so I was an early reader. Um, and, you know, my parents really didn't like push anything on me, but early on, I just got into fantasy. I, I think uh, C.S. Lewis was an early one, Susan Cooper um, with the Dark is Rising series, uh, Brian Jake's books back in the day. I used to read those uh, like they were candy. And um, yeah, and then just started reading, you know, more and more. Uh, never really saw myself as a writer. I, um, I would write like poems and stuff for like English class. And then like in high school, I was in a band and I was a singer. So like I would write lyrics and stuff like that. But I read, I read Robert Jordan at a pretty crucial stage in my development uh, in high school. And I was like, oh man, this guy is doing stuff I will never be able to do. And so I'm not even going to try. Um, and yeah, I went on that way for a while. And then I read, uh, I read a Stephen King book. I came to him pretty late in my uh, my literary career, and he was just having so much fun, like with the story, with the words. I think the first one I read, which I know is not a favorite of most people, is Dreamcatcher. But it was just like you could tell how much fun he was having, and I was like, oh, I think I want to try this. And at the same time, I had a friend who said he was writing a book, and I was like, Well, if this guy can write a book, I can write a book. <laughs> um, yeah, so so I wrote a book. This was back in the, uh, you know, right before you could start querying online and stuff like that. You still had to go get like the uh, literary digest and like look up who the agents were and then print out stuff and send mailings. It was a huge pain. So I sent out like, I don't know, probably like 10 queries. Uh, didn't hear back from eight, got two rejections and thought, well, I tried that. So, so I'm pretty good. I guess, I guess writing wasn't for me, but, but it was fun. And uh, at the same time, you know, I joined the military pretty young when I was 19. 
and I went to Afghanistan when I was 22. And so I was in the infantry and uh, we were in eastern Afghanistan and had a pretty high op tempo. Um, you know, we were outside the wire eight, nine, ten days at a time. And we'd, you know, we'd have a day off. And then you'd be back out again for another seven or eight days. And, uh, you know, it wasn't like you were like spending overnight, like out, like we were returning to the base every night. But, you know, we were spending 12 to 16 hours out every day. And so um, when I got home from that, I, uh, I had been doing a little writing while we were over there. In hindsight, I wish I had been more and more taking it seriously because I would have had plenty of time, like, outside of being outside the wire when you're back on the base, there's really nothing to do. So I could have probably written, like, two novels in that year. <laughs> but uh, I, I came back home, and um, I really discovered, like, writing is a way to, to rediscover empathy. Uh, because when you're overseas and, um, I was, you know, I went over as an E4, which is like a specialist. It's one rank below Sergeant. I got promoted while we were over there as Sergeant. So I was, I was kind of like a gun runner. And then I was also like sometimes in charge of folks and stuff like that. And when you're, when you're outside the wire constantly like that, you know, you kind of have to get into a mindset that isn't compatible with civilized society, I would say. And so, you know, when I came back home, uh, I had one, like one and a half semesters of college left to finish. And I had foolishly like taken all of my majors, uh, credits because I thought those were interesting. I thought the gen eds were boring. When I came back, I had all these gen eds. So I was like with like these 18 year old kids who were complaining about, you know, waking up at, at nine o'clock for a, for a nine thirty class and stuff <laughs> like that. And like literally two weeks before, like I had been, you know, in a, in a, in a war zone, um, so I, I had trouble reintegrating into society and uh, writing really helped me because in order to write well at all, you really have to put yourself in other people's shoes. And if you're writing epic fantasy and you're writing multiple points of view, which the, the first few books I wrote were like sprawling epic fantasies, um, you know, 150 to 200,000 words, multiple POVs and, and things like that. And so it, it really helped me. And I remember I finished the second book. And I was like, well, this is a lot better than the first one. I don't know if I'm going to get anywhere with this one, but I know I'm not going to stop. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah, and I didn't stop. I, I kept writing. Uh, I, my third book got a lot of attention from agents. I was getting full manuscript requests and I thought, well, you know what? I'm about to have a book deal. This is awesome. And then it was like five more books before, before I got an agent to sign me. Uh, and, um, and there was a couple of reasons for that. I mean, I think one is, I was kind of a uh, Brandon Sanderson-esque writer in that I really loved to write the first draft. I wasn't super excited about going back and, and editing the second and third and fourth. And so I think early on, my, my manuscripts were a little unpolished. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, the, the great thing about being a reader today, I think it's the best time in, in history to be a reader because the Internet has lowered so many barriers to getting good writers out to us and opening up those doors but at the same time to be a writer today i don't think it's ever been harder because there are so many so much opportunity and you're competing with so many different people so like i would talk to these agents and they'd ask for the full manuscript and they'd be like oh you know i really like this but i just signed somebody who has something similar or i just talked to a bunch of editors and they said they're not buying this right now so i'm just going to pass or i just signed somebody and i'm not sure if i'm ready to take on another one and so I think to make it today, you have to know that you're probably going to have to write a couple of publishable level books and just wait till you get lucky. 
And so uh, with my eighth book, which eventually became The Sin and the Steel, um, I think I was calling it a black flag shadow back then. Uh, I got I got lucky. I signed with Dong Wan Song, who uh, was an editor at Orbit. He edited uh, Shauna McGuire as Mira Grant with uh, her Feed series, which is an awesome series folks should check out. Uh, he um, I think he helped out with Brent Weeks a little bit. And I think he was on The Expanse as well um, before he he went. He decided to, uh, you know, stop being an editor and become an agent. And so, yeah, so I signed with him and, um, and then we got the deal with tour and it was, it was all good from there so far. uh, Right. (laughs) So so far. Um, (laughs) so a couple things first, uh, thank you so much for your service that, I mean, that, that's something that should never be not, you know, thanked for. Uh, I mean, it's, it's something I, I, I know I could never do. Um, and you know, I, I know there's, you know, still people over there and coming back and I, and I, and I can just, I can only imagine like how difficult it is to get back into society, especially how you were saying with these 18 year olds that are complaining about, you know, nine thirty <laughs> classes and stuff, but just thank you so much for that. Um, and second, uh, you kind of just blew my mind cause I always thought it was Brian Jacquez. <laughs> <laughs> growing up and to, to hear that it's just jakes i'm like mind blown now <laughs> well well so so two things one one uh, uh you know thank you for saying that but two um i don't know if that's actually true i know that when i was and so this could be totally false but when i was oh man I, i'm trying to remember if i was in high school or if i was in college but i went to like some fan con and I, I said, you know, I said, I said something similar to like that, like Jack Quaz, or I tried to make it French or something. Uh-huh. And I remember somebody stopped me and they were like, it's Jake's. And I was like, oh, they're like, he's British. And I was like, well, I feel like an idiot. So I've always set up like that sense, but I never actually like did the homework to see how he pronounced it. <laughs> so right now it's kind of like Schrodinger, like either one of us could be right. Well, per, per Wikipedia, it's Jake's. So we'll, we'll go with oh, that. Okay. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> so, so you've been right and I've been wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And uh, if, if anybody has any idea what we're talking about, we're talking about, you know, like Martin, the warrior, we're talking about Redwall. If, yeah. if you're wondering, you know, who Brian James is. So, um, which I, I, I tried to read him when I was like super young and it was just way over my head and I never went back to it, but I've always wanted to go back and read them. So they're, um, uh, I read them, I read them the summer. We, the last time we moved, we moved to like the country. And when I say the country, it's not really the country, but it, it was, hot. it was like big roads around us. And until you had a car, you basically couldn't go anywhere. So for the summers I was cut off and my aunt sent me a bunch of them. So I think it was like 10, 11, 12 when I was reading them. They're great up until the point you realize that he used the same formula for every book. Oh. And so like literally all he does is sub out the type of animals and the setting slightly. And it's the same story every time. So, you know, when you're younger, it's really good. I think when you're an adult, like, you know, read one or two. Uh, but I don't know if you're going to want to read more than that. Cause they do get pretty, pretty old. Quick. Cause there's, there's, there's quite a few of them. <laughs> oh, he wrote like 20. I mean, the man knew what he was doing. Like he found a, he found a seam of gold and he just mined that all the way through. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think I've still got like red wall and maybe one more. So I'll, I'll, I'll just do that and then be done. <laughs> well, um, Daniel Polanski, 
stole an awesome idea. And I say stole because I've like had this in the back of my mind for a long time. But he did a, uh, a novella, I think with Tor.com. Yeah. I can't remember the name of it. I'm blanking on it. But uh, he did like an adult version of of that type of setting with like adult characters. So it's very like it's definitely rated R, but it's it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's called The Builders. Yes, yeah. yes, that's it. Yeah, I've uh, I've, I've had that one for so long, and I, I feel like I, I feel like I really need to read Polanski because I've got like all of his books, and I've heard so many great things about like Low Town, and especially The Builders. Um, and I've got um, I've actually got the low town and book two tomorrow, the killing both on audiobooks. I definitely need to get to those really quickly, but yeah, I, I saw the builders and that I got automatically thought red wall. So yeah. Oh man. Um, so, you know, with your traveling and, 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 you know, now, you know, you've gone through the military, you're now in healthcare and so forth. Have you had like a really odd job you can remember that, you know, that maybe you didn't have it for a very long time, but you're just like, man, I always have a story to tell. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I've had a couple of odd jobs. I mean, the military is probably the oddest. Like I'm always going to have a story to tell there. Um, you know, I'll never forget the, uh, so when you, when you first sign up, you have to go through like this, like physical exam process and processing and it's called, or at least it was called MEPS. And, you know, I, um, I didn't come from a, uh, a well-off family, but I did come from a family that like really believed in education and reading. And a lot of my friends were into that. And so I just had this concept in my mind of like, you know, they don't just let anybody into the military, which might've been true before 9-11. But when I went in, it's, uh, you know, it's all walks of life, man. And I'll never forget, like I walked in there for this, like, and I just literally like signed my life away for, uh, for eight years. And then like, uh, just saw all these people in there that were not, you know, not like what you're thinking of when you're thinking of like saving private Ryan or anything like that. And many of them were really, really good people, but some of them were pretty wild. And uh, so I got a lot of stories from there. Um, but, you know, I was a, uh, I was a movie projectionist in high school and that was really cool um, because basically I didn't have to, I didn't have to wear a uniform. So I'd show up in jeans and a t-shirt I'd go upstairs and we'd get movies in Thursday night. So like, you know, my parents were pretty strict, but I was able to stay out late on those nights because we had to put the movies together and they wouldn't show up up to like 10 30 or 11. So, you know, you have to splice these movies together. And then like, I'd get to watch all these movies ahead of time. Like this was right around the time uh, the first Lord of the Rings movie came out. So I get to watch that like by myself in a theater like three or four times in a row. It was, it was awesome. And so that, that was a pretty cool job. I gotcha. Yeah, it sounds like it would be. I mean, you know, you get to get to watch all these movies and <laughs> it'd be, it'd be Oh yeah. Neat. Well, I'm a I'm a huge cinema lover. I don't go, go to the movies much anymore because it's like overpriced and it's just not as much of a fun nostalgic experience as it used to be. But uh huge, huge lover of cinema. So it, it was it was a lot of fun. I gotcha. Um so when it comes to writing, obviously, you know, you've written in many different areas and walks of life and so forth, but where do you typically find yourself writing, especially nowadays? Yeah. So, um, you know, with, with sin, I'm telling, uh, you know, more adventure fantasy, which I think the last few books has been kind of, uh, where my groove has been. Um, 
I like to say it's adventure fantasy with heart because I do believe in, in writing character forward books, which doesn't mean there's no plot. If anything, I think the plot in sin is, is really fast paced and kind of like a roller coaster. Um, but in, for me, it always starts with, with a character voice in my head and, uh, normally like a line or a thought, and then it just builds from there and then the world comes around it. So it's a, it's a very, at least in the very beginning, it's kind of this natural process that I don't have a ton of control over. Um, but I have written a lot of areas. I, you know, I got my start with writing, like I said, sprawling epic fantasies, and I still have a couple of those up my sleeve that I want to get to. Uh, and then I wrote some YA just to try that out, uh, which was fun. Um, and then I wrote uh, I wrote a contemporary sci-fi book, and then Sin is it was the one that I, I came back to where I was like, you know what? I just want to tell like a rip roaring fun fantasy that is that is really just going to grab the reader by their throat and pull them all the way through to the final page. And, and that's kind of where I've been. Now I will say I, I really get into and geek out like most fantasy lovers. I think about world building and with this one, like I really wanted to go for, um, I don't want to say non-Western because that's not quite true. It's not. It's definitely not like Far East or anything like that or uh, you know, Southeast Asia or India or African cultures. But I did I did purposefully choose like cultures where you see this melting pot of different cultures meeting up. So um, there's a lot of Venetian feel to this, Mediterranean feel. There's a lot of Caribbean feel to it. Um, I specifically kind of designed a couple of, of places that are a cross between like a, um, you know, a China, like uh, an early imperial China with uh, something from like the Umayyad Empire when, you know, they conquered southern Spain and things like that. Because I just think that's super interesting to me is these clash of cultures and different melting pots and things. So, you know, I think that's kind of where I'm at right now is adventure fantasy with heart and cool locales that maybe we don't get to see as much of in, in fantasy. I gotcha. Um, what is, uh, you know, what is your writing process? Do you, are you an architect? Are you a gardener? Do you plot everything out? Do you fall by the seat of your pants? Whichever, whichever one you want to use. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. I think we, everybody gets like, we use one term and then everybody gets like a little ashamed of it. And so they start using a different term, but they exactly. all mean the same thing. <laughs> um, so I started off as a seat of pants writer just because I didn't, I didn't know any better. And I wrote, I read uh, Stephen King's on writing and, you know, he's a, a fly by the seat of your pants kind of guy. And, um, and it came out okay, but over time I started realizing that if I would plot out a little bit ahead, I would be able to write better chapters because I would know where I was going. So, you know, the first half of the chapter wasn't me just like kind of wandering around, figuring out what the point was and then, and then finding it and, and really drilling down for the last half. It was right there from the beginning. And, um, increasingly over time, you know, I'm a big writing excuses, uh, proponent and fan. I've been listening to them since season two, I think. And, uh, Got to talk to the guys and uh, and you know girls now uh, a few times. Got, uh, went on the first writing excuses cruise, and really kind of bought into uh, not I would say actually Dan Wells more than Brandon uh, the, the view of you need to know the ending before you can get started, and then you know plotting that out. So I have a pretty pretty in depth process which we can talk about if you're interested and. Uh, and yeah, I'm definitely a plotter. And then, you know, I, 
you can only plot so much. So there's still some discovery when I'm writing scenes, but overall the structure and the character arcs and stuff like that, I know all that before I start writing chapter one. I gotcha. Um, so you, you kind of touched on this a little bit in the beginning, um, but I guess who, who would you say most influenced you to, to start writing? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's, it's probably fair to say that, um, uh, Robert Jordan convinced me I could never write, uh, J.K. Rowling and Stephen King and Robin Hobb and Robin McKinley all started to kind of chip away at that that subconscious belief that that I couldn't write, that I could never do that. It was definitely Stephen King who kind of like was the final like hammer stroke that shattered that illusion. Uh, and again, I think it just comes back to those writers. They have a lot of fun. Um and, you know, I would say Robin McKinley's books are always a little melancholy, I think. So fun, it might not be quite the right word, but with her, it's like this sense of wonder and um, that she does really well. And I just realized that I wanted to do something like that. So, yeah, I think it's probably a combination of all those. I gotcha. All right. So let's talk about your your debut. So The Sin and the Steel, which is uh, The Fall of the Gods, book one. A uh, short snapshot states that it's a sparkling fantasy debut set in a diverse world featuring dead gods, a pirate queen, shape-shifting mages, and a Sherlockian teenager determined to upend her society. So first off, can you give us a brief glimpse into your world and what we can expect going in? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, this story is really, uh, it's really about the main character, uh, Sam Bukina Bakalhara. So, her, uh, her full name is Sam Bukinia, but she goes by Buck, uh, and she's this orphan street rat. Uh, her voice just came into my head and would not go away. And, um, you know, we see the world through her eyes. And, you know, at the start of this story, she's the first private private eye detective kind of in her world. She has a, a sword swinging partner named Eld, who's kind of the muscle to her brains. And, uh, and also he's just a much nicer person than she is. She's, she's definitely of the streets and, uh, uh, the ends justify the means type of person. And he's, he's much more, uh, moralistic. So there's a lot of interesting conflict there. Um, but yeah, this is a world where, uh, you know, it's age of sale meets mercantilism. And so you have these giant trading companies who are controlling the world, uh, controlling empires, you have some warring religions with different types of magic and undead mages and, you know, mages that are using uh, things that we might think of as, as a more scientific approach that are fighting this kind of like shadow war against one another. And so all Buxies are these massive powers that are using the poor, using people like her as playthings. And she's been, you know, kind of working her young life towards getting in a position to change that. And so what we see in The Sin and the Steel is she gets that chance, but it comes with a noose around her neck. And, uh, and uh, you know, is she gonna, is she gonna solve that mystery or is the uh, chair gonna get kicked out from under her first? We're never quite sure. Gotcha, okay. Um, so what, uh, what really influenced you to write the story and, you know, where did you come up with the story idea? Yeah, um, it came from a couple of different places. I mean, I think, you know, some of the trappings and, and world building were always there because I've always, I've always loved Venice and, um, and not modern day Venice, although that's beautiful as well. But the idea that this small little uh, city that's half falling into the ocean, you know, for a brief period of time was actually an empire. It conquered Constantinople and all sorts of places. 
Uh, and so that that period was always interesting to me, that type of locale. Um, I hadn't seen at the time, and mind you, I wrote this a few years ago. I think we've seen a lot of great fantasy, especially in the last three, three to five years come out that's not your traditional fantasy settings. But I hadn't seen a lot in the uh, in the Caribbean. Um, and I hadn't seen a lot that was playing around with multiple different types of cultures all in one space, unless it was some sort of like sprawling epic fantasy that was like 12 books. I never saw that in like one book where it was really self-contained and tight. And so I, I knew I wanted to do something with that. Uh, but I, I kind of just had that play setting in the back of my mind. Then I, um, I actually had a dream and this never happens to me. It's never happened to me since, but I had a dream where the basic plot of the book came almost whole cloth into my head. I didn't have the character yet. Um, but it, it came in and I like woke up in the middle of the night, which I never do. And I wrote it down, which I never do. Uh, and I woke up the next morning and I was like, read it, expecting it to be gibberish. And it was actually really good. I was like, oh man, I think there might be a story here sometime. And, uh, and then I kind of forgot about it for, for a few months. And then Buck's voice came into my head. And when her voice came into my head, it was like, it was just bam, bam, bam. All the, all those different various elements just slid into place. Um, I'll be honest, I was a little hesitant to, uh, to write it because there have been a couple of very famous fantasy authors who have done pirates well, uh, you know, uh, Robin Hobb and her uh, live ship trilogy has pirates. Um, Scott Lynch uh, in book two of his uh, Locke Lamora series has some amazing pirates. And so, uh, you know, it'd been a few years since those books came out, but I was still a little, little concerned about doing that. But Buck wouldn't leave me alone. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to I'm going to sit down. I'm going to write it. We're going to see what's going to happen. And uh, as soon as I started writing, it, I knew I had something like it was uh it was a combination of things. Like I had, um, I had really been doing a lot of homework. I had really been analyzing a lot of books and movies, like scripting them out. Why, why, are they, why is this scene working? What did they do two scenes earlier that set this up? Which for any aspiring writers out there, I think that is the, the quickest and best way to level up. It's going to ruin a lot of work for you. It's, I don't read nearly as many books as I used to because um, it's difficult for me if I can see what they're doing and then they're not doing it well. Uh, same thing with TV shows and movies, but you you really learn a lot. And so it all just fell into place, man. I, I like wrote it out really, really quickly. I uh, got a draft together, um, actually showed it to Dan Wells and Brandon Sanderson. They both gave me some really good feedback. I made a couple more revisions and then started sending it out. And um you know, had a couple of offer, offers and uh, ended up signing with Donald Wallen. And then, you know, we took it out and did some revisions there and uh, had a couple of couple of bites there. And then we went with a tour, which was kind of like my dream from the beginning. So I was really excited. Awesome. Um, and, uh, and you briefly mentioned kind of something along those lines, but, you know, would you say that your world traveling helped a good deal, especially with, you know, building a world from scratch? I think so. I don't think... I, well, so I have a couple of thoughts on travel. Um, one, I don't think you have to travel uh, to be able to write something well. I do think you have to be curious and notice details. And if you're not going to travel, you have to do a lot of research and read from people who have traveled or watch people who are traveling. And not just watch where they're going, but watch their reactions, listen to how they talk. Um, you know, Anthony Bourdain uh, is a huge influencer for me uh, early on, especially back when it was no reservations. And um he uh, just the way he would talk about stuff really 
wanted me to get out beyond the travel I had already done and start really exploring. Uh, so, so that's one part of the answer. The other part is travel. I know it costs money. Um, like I said, I didn't come from a, a, a family of means or anything like that. You know, I had to join the military to pay for my college, like none of that, but I think it's worth skipping vacations to save up to travel because you can't replicate the experience of being in a, a new place with a language that you don't speak, much less understand. And there's all these interesting aromas and smells and sights and sounds. And people everywhere are so much kinder, I think, than, than the media leads us to believe or we realize when we, when we never get out of our homes and never leave our little safe spaces. Yeah. And so, you know, discovering that new restaurant, that new food, uh, a new friend, um, a new architecture that you've never imagined before. And like having all those sensory details, you just can't, you can't replicate that. Uh, you can get close to it. And like I, I gave some pointers a minute ago about ways to try to do that, but there's just something really inspiring about it. And so I don't consciously like sit down and say, okay, now I'm going to write this cafe in Paris that I was at, uh, that's on the corner right by Notre Dame. And I'm going to like recreate that. But what I do think about is, what are the what are the people that I've I've talked to and run into and what are some of the situations and what were the feelings that I had? Um, and that definitely influences all of that. And then, you know, I think it's just a matter of what speaks to you from a, you know, from a world building perspective, what meets the needs of the story and what makes you excited. Um, so why did you choose a teenage protagonist? I mean, I know you said that she just kind of came to you and, and she kind of stuck with you. I mean, I can only, you know, assume because there's like room to grow in a trilogy, like for her, like to have room to grow throughout three books. Yeah. So, you know, the honest reason, and again, I wrote this a few years ago, and I think there have been some great young female protagonists who have come out since then. Certainly there were some before, but I wasn't seeing a lot of um, girls who were going out and like just, um, you know, kind of kicking ass and taking names and uh, unapologetically without being called out in ways that I didn't see young male protagonists getting called out. For example, uh, Mark Lawrence's main character is like 14, I think, at the start of book one, and he's doing all these crazy things and nobody's like well could a 14 year old boy really do that and so I part of it was that Buck was a, a female voice who came into my head and I knew she was younger part of it was I just hadn't seen that and I thought we needed to see more of that and um, part of it was that I had been reading um, some history some histories around some young women who had done awesome things like uh, you know Joan of Arc um, but there's and and there's um I don't want to give too much away, but there is uh, some some references to a uh, to a pirate in the book that uh, kind of maps loosely to this um, female Chinese pirate. Um, I, I can't remember her name because it, I kind of took a little bit of that and created the character, and I don't want to butcher it, so I'm not going to say her name, but if you Google it, you'll find it. She ended up like running a fleet uh, that uh, basically pounded the Chinese government into submission. And then when she got tired of pirating, I think she had like 40,000 ships. It was something in, intense. After, when she got tired of pirating, she got the government to uh, give her like a pardon. And she just went and lived in peace for the rest of her life. So I was just seeing all of that. And I wasn't seeing a lot of it in fiction at that point, right when I was writing that book, or at least I wasn't reading it right at that point. And so so that was the a real reason why I chose it. I just wanted to have a hyper-confident uh, protagonist who is young and unapologetic. 
Um, but you're also right. It, you know, from a strategic, more mercenary perspective, it gives her room to grow. And it also, you know, it's always nice when you start off with a character who's maybe a little bit younger because there's reason for them maybe not to know everything in the world. Whereas if you start off with a, uh, you know, the Gandalfs of the world, um, they probably should know everything or most everything. And so that can be a little bit tricky to, uh, to pull off. So yeah, maybe I, maybe I made it a little easier on myself in that regard too. Say, yeah, a little bit of naivety is not a, not a bad thing to have, especially when you're writing a series. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, are there any books, uh, I guess, out today you, you would maybe give some kind of comparison to yours? Or better yet, are there any authors that you, you think would match up well with your series? Like a, you know, if you like spaghetti, big chance you'll like lasagna type question. <laughs> oh, no, totally. Um, yes. Yeah, for sure. So um, uh, Victoria Schwab's uh, um, Shades of Magic series with the Lila Bard or Lila Bard, I'm not sure how she pronounces it. Um, she would she would be a cousin to Buck for sure. Arya Stark, uh, you know, uh, minus the rich parents uh, would definitely be a good match up there. You know, um, I get compared to Scott Lynch, which is always super flattering. Um, I know Scott a little bit. Uh, I know his wife a lot. She's helped me out a lot with understanding, like, you know, the the ropes of being a professional author. And Scott and I share the same agent. So he's he's super cool. And I I always am uh, really, really embarrassed and, and uh, humbled when people bring that up. But I do think there's there's some some uh, interesting parallels there probably between Locke and Buck, at least in the beginning. I think they diverge probably after the first books, but uh, there's there's definitely some stuff there. So, you know, I think Scott Lynch meets uh, Victoria Schwab. That's not a bad place to be. I got you. Okay. Um, so what, uh, what are you working on now? Yeah, so now I'm, I'm kind of splitting my time between uh, – um, editing book two, uh, which I've gone back and forth with on my editor a couple of times, and that's that's getting in a really good place. I'm really excited about that. And uh, starting to dive into book three, um, I have the outline done for book three, and uh, the plan had been before you know all the all the fun of the last six weeks or so. The plan had been to uh, to start writing last month, and you know hopefully wrap it up by the end of May. Uh, work has just been so insane and then uh, the the situation we're all in so that hasn't happened yet so I'm hoping that um, by the middle of next month things will have calmed down enough that I'll be able to jump into that so book three I can't wait to get to that I'm really excited about that story uh, in the way it's come together I think I think folks are going to be really excited which is weird to say because it's going to be like three years before anybody reads it but uh but I'm, I'm really excited about that. And then, you know, as soon as that's done, I have at least three other projects that I want to get to. So I just need to pick one and, and kind of start driving on those. I see. It must be nice having like all these projects. You're just like, I think I'm, I think I'm going to choose this one. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's nice and frustrating at the same time. Like oh, I have okay. 70,000 words of, uh, of an epic fantasy that I had started um, that I want to get back to that. I keep, I keep saying it's a Sanderson killer because I think it's going to be close to like 300,000 words when it's done. Um, and, uh, and then I, I, you know, there's some other like sub genres of fantasy that I want to explore. I have this, this near future middle grade, it's quasi sci-fi quasi fantasy story that I want to tell. Um, there's, you know, there's a couple of standalones that I have some ideas on. And now that I'm getting towards the end of the series, I don't know if any of the other authors you've talked to have talked about, you know, how their ideas come to them, but 
typically with me, I don't have an idea for another book until I get close to the end of the book I'm writing. And then all of a sudden I'll have like three or four ideas. It just so happens that because uh, there is kind of a lag between Sin going out on uh, on auction or uh, not on auction, but uh, going out um, in the first um, to uh, get picked up by a publisher and then actually signing the deal. There was a lag time there and I was caught in this in between stage. So I was thinking of a bunch of different ideas. So I had those. But um, but yeah, all that to say that, like, it's great, but I'm I'm kind of a little frustrated because I just want to write these other books, too. And I wish I had all the time in the world or could split myself into three or four people. Uh, but I'd rather have that than, yeah, the idea of like you finish your last book and everybody's like, what's next? And you're like, yeah, I don't know. That would that wouldn't be fun. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that. It's because, uh, you know, uh, authors are all different. You know, some some have an idea of, of where they're going to be in their next, you know, series. You know, and, and it all sometimes that answer is different because, you know, I'll, I'll talk to authors you know, that are about to release the debut or they're about to release a book in their second or third series and maybe maybe even the finale of a trilogy or series. And they're like, I don't know what's coming up next. But, you know, like one author that I always point back to is Josh Mallerman. Uh, he he has like boxes of boxes of like all of these books that he wrote. And he just like he kind of just like goes around and goes. Which one should I pick next? <laughs> just like grabs it and submits it, and uh, and it's funny because he told he had sent me a message just a while back after we did a podcast and stuff, and he goes, uh, he's like, oh, oh, I've got this one, I got this one. I was like, well, based on title alone, you should totally pick that one. He goes, oh my gosh, I love that book so much, and I go, well, pick it. And he goes, I, I want to think about this for a couple of weeks because <laughs> he's well, one that he like releases like one like traditionally published book and then like a small press like book or novella every year and so it, but it's, he's like he's got like 30 like full-fledged novels that he's like can release and he's like i'm just gonna do like one a year and i'm like man you're like set for life <laughs> oh wow yeah you know it's only recently that i've started to and, and nobody should ever do this because it's really depressing but i started to map out like you know i'm a pretty fast writer how many books a year can i write how much, you know, what's the average life expectancy? Like, where am I trending on that? How many books can I, can I write before, you know, like they're going to put the the nail in the coffin. <laughs> and, uh, and then I was like, oh my God, like, you know, it, it was a decent number. I think it was like over 30, but I was like, this still, I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to have to like actually start to really be serious about what I choose to write and not write. Yeah. Um, but in my case, it's more like, I have all these ideas and then I go to my agent, we kind of talk through it. I'm uh, definitely like a Gryffindor and he's definitely a Slytherin. So he'll be like, yeah, you know, strategically, you really should do this one. And then I'll be like, yeah, but I love this one over here. It's so nice and shiny. And he's like, yeah, but you know, maybe do that one after. And then, um, you know, he's always willing to do whatever I want to do at the end of the day, but he's, he's really insightful. So I imagine whatever we come out with after we, um, after we wrap this trilogy up, will probably be a uh, a co decision there. But there's there's some really cool stuff that I'm excited to to show everyone and stories to tell. So so it'll be really cool. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, you know, you mentioned you mentioned him with his 30 books, and you know, I know you have like a, a growing stable here of uh, of folks that you've amassed and some really cool names on there. Uh, I think 
was Nicholas Eames the last one that just came out? Yeah, I just finished recording that one last night. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like uh, that's a frenetic pace. What got you into this? Are you just uh, a big fan or a reader, or you know, because this is this is not insignificant effort on your part. <laughs> I know my wife would say the same thing. <laughs> um, no, it's uh, so I've I've been doing book reviews for five or six years, and. Um, and it really just kind of started. I got a, I got a like a Kindle for Christmas one year, and I had just read Wool by Hugh Howey, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a really great book. I really want to get. I, I wanted to get back into reading, so I was like, what, what can I find that's like it? And uh, you know, I started using Amazon's kind of like if you, you know, people who bought this bought that, and started befriending authors on like Facebook, and then I got on Twitter, and it just kind of grew from there. So I started doing a lot of. Um, like indie beta reading and reviewing and stuff to, to kind of get names put out there as much as I could. I mean, like I had a platform back then, I really didn't, but, um, <laughs> and, uh, had a, had a bloggers, his name's, uh, Petros. He, he runs a blog called book nest and he saw like some of my reviews one day and he's like, Oh man, you write some great reviews. I'd love to have you on the blog. And I'm like, great. And so I was on book nest for a year and while I was there, I kind of learned the ins and outs of like, you know, how this whole book reviewing thing goes, like requesting, you know, advanced reader copies and reviewing for publishers and your name kind of gets out there a little bit. And I, I kind of decided to branch off and do my own. And so I've been mm -hmm. doing that for a little over two years and I've got uh, five other bloggers on there now. And I kind of got to the point, uh, it's like November of last year where I was like, what, what else can I do? I'm always looking for like the next thing. Um, and mm -hmm. you know, not, not that I don't enjoy reviewing. I love reading and, and reviewing, but I was like, you know, I, I want to find a way to get outside of like social media and find a way to really dig into writing processes and how authors come up with ideas for books instead of just like, this is what I wrote, read it. And I was like, oh, you know, podcasts are pretty popular, <laughs> duh. And uh, so I was like, well, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna send a, a you know, a, a kind of a DM out to about you know 30 authors that I've kind of gotten to know over the past couple of years, and we follow each other and we chat, you know, on occasion. And I've read their books and reviewed them, and it's all been good. So out of 30, I got 29 automatic yeses. And I go, um, well, obviously I need to do this. So I, just, I was like, all right, Amazon, let's buy a mic and bring it in and, and see what kind of, uh, you know, program you'd be working with. And I found Anchor, uh, which is Spotify's podcasting platform. And um, yeah, I just was like, all right, Rachel, this is my wife. I was like, I'm going to be doing this, you know, a couple of times a week. And she's like, okay. And, and then it started kind of becoming like three times a week. And now with the whole <laughs> pandemic, it's been like three to four times a week, which has really only been that for like two weeks. But um, it's just something I really enjoy. I really enjoy talking to authors, especially ones that, um, you know, that are, that are going to be putting debuts out there to help kind of, not that I'm going to be a platform launcher by any means, but to, to help in some way of, of getting more people to look, you know, at them to maybe do a pre-order or to maybe even add it to Goodreads and maybe come back to it at some point. Or, you know, for, for authors like now that don't have book tours or, uh, you know, signings or can't go to conventions because of all these shutdowns, 
it's it's a way to kind of help plug them a little bit. Uh, whereas, because mm-hmm. and, and I also know because a lot of authors don't enjoy plugging themselves uh, as far as social media goes. They really hate telling people to buy their books, and so I kind of find it as a way of if people want if people enjoy podcasts and they want to listen to maybe an author they haven't heard of before or when they have and didn't know they have a new book coming out. It's just a way to kind of get them in a groove, I guess. But honestly, I just really did it because I enjoy it. <laughs> if I, I could have five people listen to every episode and still still be doing it. It's not, it has nothing to do with following or anything. It's just something that I wanted to try out and I've loved every second of it. Does that help? Really Does that cool. answer your question? <laughs> That's the first time anybody's <laughs> yeah, no, actually no, asked no. me. So I'm like, I'm just going to go rant for five minutes. <laughs> no, no, no. I, so I love these types of podcasts um, selfishly because uh, when, you know, when I was coming up as a, uh, I always said aspiring author, clearly I was, I was an author by the definition of, of writing books, but mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, my definition of success, which everybody's is different, but mine was, I wanted to be traditionally published. And so I would seek out podcasts like yours and there really aren't that many mm-hmm. of people interviewing authors and like, you know, talking about one, how did they get their start? But then two, like digging into what's their writing process like, or how do they get their ideas? Well, not how they get their ideas. That's always the, the hated question, but like, right. <laughs> how do they execute on those ideas? And, um, and what was their journey like just to like into publication? Because there's not a lot of information out there past getting an agent. And right. so trying to figure out like, okay, well, what's next? Uh, the only outlet you have are, are podcasts like this. And, you know, it, a few years ago, I think I could have listed six and now I think there's even less. Um, so I was, I was super excited when I found yours and then, you know, when you and I got in touch, that was, that was really cool too. But yeah, I will uh, tell your wife, I said, thank you because I'm sure, I'm sure this is not, uh, like I said, insignificant effort. Um, there's one thing just to have a conversation, but you have to do all that prep work and then you have to edit this and push it out there. And yeah, that's a lot, but I'm, I'm definitely appreciative. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because, you know, I, I feel like I just took on a whole nother thing uh, today, which, you know, you're a part of this, but uh, you know, I, I had finished talking to Nick Martell the other day uh, and I sent him a message on Twitter. I was like, oh man, we should, you know, since we could have just talked all day, we should do like a Q&A one day, just like for the heck of it. We'll go on Facebook Live or something and just like answer questions. It, it could be five people that tune in, whatever. I just think it'd be kind of cool. And then like Mike Shackle, who <laughs> wrote We Are the Dead, <laughs> uh, was like, oh my gosh, you should like have a few more people and do like a panel. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I now have like 24 authors signed up to do panels at like a virtual convention. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I told my wife, I was like, so basically I'm going to need, you can just like go to the lake for a day without me because you've been with me for a month straight and you probably need a break. I'm just going to be here. And I'm just going to do like zoom panels for an entire day. And apparently that's what's going to happen. But I mean, I, I just have a feeling it's going to continue to get bigger, but I think I think that's going to be a blast. I, I know we're looking to try to do that in May, even though we just we just started talking about it today. But just just the fact that I've got you know we've got so many people that are like, heck yeah, let's do it. And I'm like, I don't know if I really signed up for this, but we're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that was my my second reaction. I think my first was hell yeah, and then I think my second was, but I'm super slammed right now, so I don't know if I can help with the setup, and I apologize. <laughs> And then I think that's right about the time it really blew up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, it was like it was like you know, a couple of people were like, "Oh, that sounds kind of cool," and all of a sudden, it's just like everybody got online at the same time. But no, I mean, again, it's 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 uh, it's something that I, I think is going to be amazing, and it's it's an opportunity for. I mean, there's several authors in here that have books coming out very soon, and you know, who knows what it's going to look like in May, June, July, August. I mean. Uh, Jeremy Zoll uh, is kind of one of them that was talking about doing Zoom meetings. I mean, he's got uh, his book Stormblood coming out in May, and uh, I mean, he's not doing any tours. And right. uh, you know, Brian Naslin's got the second book in his uh, you know After Blood of an Exile called Sorcery of a Queen coming out in a couple of months. And I mean, I don't even I don't know what's going on with that one. So it's just like you know, it's an opportunity for you know, for everybody to kind of, to talk about what they love, which, which are books and get to talk with each other. Maybe they don't, you know, interact a whole lot, you know, on social media, or if they do, they never get to really see each other and they would be able to see each other at conventions. And, right. and it's also a way for people that are at home that maybe need some other kind of outlet. That's not, you know, just listening to a voice in your head. They can actually see video of their favorite authors talking about stuff. And it's, and it's something that, won't just be live. Like I think there's a way we can save these videos and post them and everybody can enjoy them at their leisure and stuff. So, you know, I mean, my phone always goes, you're not getting paid for this. Remember that? I was like, I know, but it's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You need to uh, figure out how to tie in advertising or something like that so that you can start to get that, that sweet ad money. Right. Um, exactly. <laughs> but no, man, I think that's awesome. One of the, maybe the silver lining that's going to come out of this, at least one of the things that I'm kind of hoping would come out of this is that folks that haven't gone to conventions or maybe don't even know about conventions. Cause I don't think, unless you're like really plugged into the genre and the industry, I'm not sure if you're really aware of all the science fiction and fantasy conventions out there outside of like the comic cons, which are, are actually kind of um, overwhelming to go to and, and not necessarily as much fun as some of the, you know, niche uh, uh, fantasy or sci-fi conventions. So I'm kind of hoping that folks being able to see a virtual convention and see like, oh, so when they talk about a panel, that's what this means. And here are my authors having a good time. And, you know, here's somebody reading something that like I never would have maybe checked out, but now it's in front of me. Maybe once we're able to all come out of our houses and like, you know, warily approach one another inside that <laughs> dangerous six foot space like maybe that will get some new blood to come out and start checking out like in-person conventions we'll get to see more people which i think will be really cool yeah for sure i mean because you know you you you've got like Worldcon, and they i think they have like one that's it's like a small smattering of authors i think it's like bristol con or something that they have mm -hmm. over in the uk and yeah, there's a lot, a lot of small ones that nobody really knows about you know you you obviously know like about the big one in new york um, which I think is BookCon, and then um, and then you've got you know of course the San Diego Comic Con and stuff. But yeah, some of those are super overwhelming. I know I've always wanted to go to Dragon Con, but I'm like, man, that's that is so many people. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I went to New York City Comic Con um, before I had an agent uh, just to to see Tours booth and, and talk to some folks, and I went to um, I think it's called something different now, but back then it was Phoenix Comic Con. And that one I went, it was before I had my book deal, but it was after I had an agent. So I got to hang out with like all the, all the authors and be the, you know, feel like the cool kid, uh, at the table. And, um, and that was like my first big convention and yeah, it's overwhelming. And that was, 
I don't want to say how many it was because it'll be way off, but it was nowhere near what San Diego Comic-Con was, but it was way bigger than like Worldcon or any of the others. And I was just like, I cannot imagine trying to navigate some of those bigger ones. It just yeah. has to be a lot. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, it's, it's almost like going to Disney World and you got to plan your entire trip. <laughs> you can't just like walk <laughs> That's in exactly and like, what it is. I'm going to go do everything because you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it is. Yeah, absolutely. So have you, um, have you had the chance to read anything lately that you'd recommend? Yeah. Um, I, uh, so I've been raving for, for a couple of months now about, uh, Paul Kruger's Steel Crow saga. Um, it's this, I called it a tight standalone fantasy. And then just like literally yesterday, he mentioned on Twitter that it was 177,000 words. And I was like, no way that's 177,000 words. Like I thought it was, 125 130 tops um because it just read so quickly but it is uh it's kind of like pokemon in the aftermath of like world war ii and it has this really interesting southeast asia cultural vibe where it's like this massive war happened there basically the the imperial power lost but all the smaller countries that won didn't really win either it was kind of a, a pyrrhic victory and then um he just has this really cool magic system. So that that's a recent favorite of mine uh, that I, I would definitely recommend. Um, I just read, and I always feel bad talking about stuff that isn't going to come out for a while. Uh, but one of the things that they don't tell you when you become an, an author is that all you're reading is like either six to eight months behind and you're trying to catch up or it's like six to eight months ahead and nobody's been able to read this. Yep. But um, there's this book by uh, – Christopher, I think it's Buhlman. I hope I'm not mispronouncing his last name. Christopher Buhlman called the Black Tongue Thief, and uh, that was that was a really good one. It's like this um, this thief that is indebted from going to thief school, and they 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 play for keeps there. So like you start to lose body parts if you if you stay in debt for too long, and he gets kind of set on this adventure with this like fledgling uh witchling and this like knight who has these really crazy secrets and it's set against this backdrop of like a goblin war and um and it was it was a lot of fun it kind of reminded me of um nicholas eames and like if you ever read douglas hulick uh who uh wrote some some thief books a few years ago it kind of reminded me of that um so that was a good one and uh those were the ones that i just read i'm really excited Catherine Addison of the Goblin Emperor has this um, Angel of Crows, I think it's called, coming out soon this year. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's like, it's like Jack Ripper London, but with vampires and werewolves and angels. And that sounds really cool. And the big one that I'm excited for is Kate Elliott has uh, this space um, sci-fi that's basically like Alexander the Great in space, but gender swapped. And, and that sounds really cool, too. So it's kind of where, where my head's been lately. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I, I've heard of the Black Tongue Thief. I think uh, I saw like, Heather Hall post about it on Twitter like several months ago because like it was like a 2021 title, <laughs> and we're like, yeah, it, "How dare you tell us about this? It's so far away." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was surprised when they sent me the the, uh, the advanced reader copy because it is so far out. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll take a read. And it was it was a good distraction early on with, with all the stuff that was happening. So I gotcha. Yeah, that's 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 neat. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And actually just um actually just ordered a copy of I think it was one of Christopher's first books, or maybe it was his first book. Um Okay. Gosh, I'm gonna I'm gonna blank on it now. Gotta I'm gonna look it up because I, I don't wanna I don't wanna leave that up. Those across the river. 
I think was like his debut, and it, and it apparently is absolutely phenomenal. And so I ordered a copy of it because I kind of wanted to see how his writing was before I got to the Black Tongue Thief because I just, I'm just assuming I'll be able to read it at some point. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm sure Tor would be able to hook you up. He um, that first book of his was like horror and won a bunch of awards or something. Yeah, I think, it did. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think they they said it was like F. Scott Fitzgerald meets Dean Koontz. Yeah, that's. I mean, that you kind of kill for that kind of comparison, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm I'm interested. I I think uh, I think it actually just shipped because uh, I think Amazon's like randomly like allowing some small shipments out where they're holding everything else till like the end of the month. So oh okay yeah it's 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 kind of interesting. So all right, so uh, sending the steel hits on July twenty first. So with everything sort of up in the air in regard to tours and so forth, uh, I guess you know what are you doing to I guess kind of promote yourself and you know I guess I guess I'm assuming tours doing some stuff and obviously we're going to try to do this whole virtual con, but <laughs> I guess what are you what are you doing yourself and kind of how are you dealing with with that fact. Yeah, it's 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 kind of strange because, you know, this is a journey that I've been on for over a decade. And the last thing I was expecting going into 2020, I thought 2020 was going to be like the best year of my life. And I didn't think it was going to be, you know, everybody's worst year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm hoping well, I'm hoping that by July things calm down a little bit. I'm not sure if we'll be at the stage where we could do like a, a small tour, maybe go to a couple of cities and, and try to meet some folks. But uh, there are there are some pretty cool things going on. So tour has been you know amazing with me. Uh, they um, they have me actually. If folks want to read the first three chapters of my book, you can do it for free right now on uh, um, well your reading platform of choice. There's this promo they're doing called Chaos and Cosmos Sampler, and it's like uh, Victoria Schwab, Mary Robin Qual. Um, a bunch of other uh, famous authors, and then yeah, I'm on there too, which I don't know how I snuck in there, but uh, <laughs> you can you can download it. I think it's like 150 pages of like teasers for books that are coming out this spring and summer from tour. So so that's one cool thing they're doing. I think they might be doing some cool promo stuff with uh, some sneak peeks um, in the in the next couple of months here. I don't I don't know how much I actually know or how much I can say, so I don't want to say too much there. And then you know I think we're gonna do some cool stuff. Uh, with Instagram when we get closer to the to the release date and some stuff around there. And like you said, there's, you know, there's the virtual con that, that you're kind of, uh, you know, starting, whether you realize you were starting it or not. And, uh, and there, there's some other cons that I was going to plan to go to that canceled that I'm waiting to see. I think they might do some virtual stuff as well. So if, you know, if folks are interested in learning more or, you know, want to see some, some fun things, I think over the next few months, we'll be able to give them that. Although it might not be in person as, as we all would have hoped for. Right. Yeah. Cause I know, you know, I know, especially with, uh, with a lot of publishers now are really delaying, um, sending out like really any physical copies of anything. I mean, you could obviously order stuff when it's out, like on Amazon and stuff, but again, it's going to be delayed. Um, and I know a lot of, especially for like the book community, like, the, you know, us bloggers and so forth, they get early copies of books. Like it's just all digital, uh, at least mm-hmm. for like the foreseeable future. Um, which, you know, it, it, it stings, but like, it's all understandable because, you know, you can't be putting these, you know, warehouse workers and stuff like their lives are at stake with this whole pandemic, you know, whether or not people believe it's that serious or not, but, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, 
well, there's plenty of books out there to read. <laughs> and and <laughs> as, as books get released and, you know, as people find out about things, they can still pre-order them and they can pre-order them on, on Kindle. I mean, I know, you know, there's, there's a, there's a majority of people out there that don't enjoy paying full price for a Kindle book, but sometimes you just gotta. So, um, but yeah, I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping the, the virtual con when, when, if, and when it's, it's more when it happens, uh, is gonna is gonna help out you know you and, and the majority of these other writers that are kind of facing the same you know complications with book releases and stuff and hopefully you know this stuff starts to to really plateau and, and go you know on the downslope here in the next month or two uh, so stuff can kind of get to somewhat somewhat normality. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Um, there's uh, there's this Arabic saying, "Inshallah, God wills it," and so yeah, hopefully that happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, well, guys that are listening, uh, you can find Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Van Lone on Instagram. Also, Ryan Van Lone. Uh, you can find him on Facebook again at Ryan Van Lone. <laughs> it's very, very, uh, very original. No, I'm kidding. Uh, and you can also find his website RyanVanLone.com. And like I said, uh, the Sin and the Steel, which is the Fall of the Gods book one, hits from Tor Books on July 21st. And uh, I know we're all going to be looking forward to it when it does. And I'm hoping that I can actually get to it here fairly soon. Cause man, reading is, um, reading is not easy to come by right now. It's just really odd. Cause I'm always at home. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you, but I'm, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. And I hope, uh, hope everybody listening, uh, will we'll give it a, sh- give it a go or give it a shot. And, uh, but, but most of all, just thank you so much for, for coming on and, taking the kind of time to come chat with me and even asking me a question. So it's, it's always nice when the tables are turned. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, this has been a lot of fun, David. And, and thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm excited and hopefully, you know, be back with the, uh, the virtual con and, and maybe down the road too. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, uh, well, you enjoy the rest of your week and weekend and continue to stay safe. And uh, especially, you know, with work and, and so forth. And uh, we'll, we'll try to do this again. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. What's up, guys? Hope you guys enjoyed my chat with Ryan Van Lone. Stay tuned. Next week, I'll be talking to author Nathan Ballingrude. Uh, he's the author of the short story collection Wounds, as well as the short story collection North American Lake Monsters. Uh, Wounds, actually, one of the stories was made into a feature film on Hulu. Uh, and he actually has a Hulu original show based on his North American Lake Monsters. So that's going to be a really fun uh, chat. And then also I'll be talking to Jeremy Zoll. His debut, Stormblood, is coming up from Golance in May. Uh, so definitely stay tuned for that. So I'll be talking to Nathan on the 14th and Jeremy on the 18th. Uh, and I'm kind of spreading these out a little bit since I've been doing so many in a row just to kind of give myself a break and uh, also just to you know, see what we can get done in the next couple of months before – Emma Kate's here because I don't really know what the podcast is going to look like after that. So, uh, but I hope you guys just continue to pop in and enjoy these. Um, and yeah, as far as that virtual con, I think that's really going to happen. So be stay tuned for details about that. And uh, yeah, as always, stay safe and uh, thanks for listening in.